Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome to yet another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trends Podcast, the podcast that brings you hacks, tips, thought leadership for sales marketing and customer success. It's brought to you by Global Performance Group, a revenue improvement boutique that implements behavior change for salespeople to gain the competence of the skills, the confidence to execute these well, and therefore the courage to engage more effectively with their clients and prospects. My name is Harry Kendelbacher, and I'm pleased to have today with me Joshua Trott, excuse me, I almost got your name wrong, Joshua Trott from uh, WorkRise. Welcome to the uh, podcast, Josh. No, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, As a way of starting the interview, Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how your path led to becoming the CRO of WorkRise. Yeah, uh, happy to chat through it. Uh, I'll be very honest up front. It's a bit of a winding road, probably not... Yeah, the traditional path from a sales perspective that might be expected or discussed uh, on, on your podcast. But uh, my background is actually far more rooted in strategy and operations uh, than it ever was in sales. So um, really, I started doing cancer research, so like really far left field. Um, but there was something about the scientific, uh, the scientific method and, and really working with like a hypothesis-driven approach that just like resonated with me very early on in my career. Uh, and quite frankly, as that got more ingrained in, in how I worked, I just saw the whole world through that lens. And so ultimately, things just started to become an experiment, uh, things that you could like test, you could get data, and ultimately use data to make really informed decisions. Um, and so I found that this early stage of my career translated very well uh, to both like the energy natural resources arena, as well as consulting. Uh, and I actually kind of pivoted and spent the next days of my career uh, in the consulting landscape. Uh, this was where I actually got my first kind of exposure to the impact of being able to influence senior stakeholders and like that, the power of being able to tell a story. Uh, like every day when you're a consultant, you're pitching your ideas, uh, you're navigating really complex stakeholder groups. Uh, and ultimately, like you have to deliver a compelling story that showcase your deliverables, right? And generate and demonstrate the value that you're creating. So it really was sales without it being quote unquote sales. Um, and it was really at this stage that I think as many consultants go through, you wanted to actually realize some of the value of the work that you were doing instead of kind of like handing off deliverables. Uh, and so I looked for a way to kind of pivot uh, into, into a world in which I could spend my time doing the things that I started to realize I really enjoyed about the consulting world, which was one, being a storyteller. Uh, two, I loved being customer facing and being in front of these customers. And then three, being able to figure out how I could translate strategy into execution, into like real tangible value for the clients that that we were serving. And so because of this, like general manager or GM type roles really started to like naturally make sense as like a next step. Uh, And so I spent the next phase of my career chasing jobs that enabled me to to play that role, which was really kind of like owning both the sales and like the customer facing relationship, but also being able to translate that into the execution. Uh, And I found that combination of things to be just an incredibly powerful concept, because if you're getting feedback directly from clients every single day, you're responsible for generating the growth for your company, but you can also control the value and the quality of what you're then delivering, your ability to stand behind 
that value proposition and to be able to articulate that clearly and to be able to make sure that your teams can articulate that. It just felt like such a natural and powerful combination that made me, I think, effective, more effective on both sides of the coin. Um, and so around June of 2021, uh, I actually joined WorkRise uh, first as the vice president of sales, where I was overseeing solar, industrials, defense, and oil and gas. And I can get into kind of like what WorkRise does. Uh, and then my role just quickly evolved from there. So we restructured uh, into business units. Uh, I became the head of oil and gas. So then I was owning the full P&L and oil and gas, uh, for those that aren't aware, is our largest business unit by a, a large margin uh, at the company. And then as time progressed, uh, we actually went to consolidate all of the revenue functions across the whole company under me. So now as a CRO, I manage sales, operations, revenue operations, marketing, and customer success for the company uh, as we kind of start our next phase. So it's it's been quite a path, but a, an exciting one nonetheless. Fabulous. Thank you for the introduction. Share a little bit what WorkRise does, if you could, for our listeners here. Yeah, of course. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, we are a marketplace uh, and network that enables our clients in the energy space uh, to get access to the critical vendors and services that they require to execute energy projects on a, on a daily basis. So um, it's a very powerful powerful platform. Um, and ultimately, without getting into too much detail, the, the industry is very complicated. And a lot of like how you actually access these vendors um, is quite uh, dated. And so a lot of paper, a lot of like old relationships. And so what we're trying to do is really bring data and put that data into power in the hands of our clients to be able to make better decisions on how they leverage their vendors. So it's a, a simple high level pitch there. Interesting. And what are the sort of the trends, uh, the latest trends in the energy industry at that stage? And how, yeah. how does WorkRise, you know, is leveraging these trends to accelerate growth and innovation in, in, in your sector? Of course. Yeah. So there's, I could spend an entire podcast, a very long period of time talking about this and we won't, and we won't do that. Uh, but I think two critical buckets, um, one, which probably won't be a surprise if you read the newspapers every single day, uh, the energy transition is this massive thematic um, pressure and opportunity that is really impacting every aspect of the energy landscape, everything from renewables to oil and gas and everything in between. Um and really, when you think about the energy transition, it really is thinking about like how we reduce right our reliance on fossil fuels and start to figure out how we enable a more sustainable long-term energy future. It is our belief that ultimately the traditional oil and gas and like large energy companies and players will be the ones who actually are best positioned to enable that transition, um, mainly because their critical capabilities are very much aligned to what is required to build all of these large infrastructure um, projects and, and manage the capital right. deployment to be able to do so. The key is that they're going to continue to require new and innovative vendors and solution providers that they have not historically worked with um, to be able to go in and execute against that. And so this right. is where being able to create a marketplace and having a platform where they can easily like identify, engage, and transact with those types of pro providers is going to massively accelerate the pace and the speed in which they can go to market to be able to deliver that. And so that is not going away. The energy transition is like here to stay. It is a critical thing. I think our clients right. deeply care about that. And we believe that we're uniquely positioned to be able to help grease the wheels and like speeding up the ability for them to find and deploy the these like innovative vendors who are at the forefront of, of all of this new technological technological advancement that we're seeing on a, on a daily basis. I think so that's one. Supply chain is the other big one. Uh, and this is not specific 
to the oil and gas or energy industry. I think we've seen that across many sectors. Um, but there continues to be massive supply chain challenges, remaking the world supply chain and like the patterns in which we've kind of built the entire industry and ecosystem around. And so we want to figure out and continue to help to, to evolve the supply chain as the, the world evolves. Uh, and I think, again, with our platform, that is something we directly address. And so uh, by being able to ease the burden of like rising supply chain complexity, you're seeing price increases because of like right. a lack of pricing transparent uh, transparency, a lack of, lack of visibility into quality. Um, we can help, I think, alleviate a lot of the burden there, which by default will help, I think, accelerate that energy transition again. So I think those are the two really big uh, themes that you see playing uh, across the energy landscape today. Right. I've been on the receiving end of this. Uh, last year, I have uh, put on my roof uh, all the uh, uh, panels to produce electricity. And here in Austria, yeah. it's actually a lot of it is subsidized by the governments, which is of course. great for the end consumer. But yeah. the supply chain was a real issue. I've ordered it, I think, in May and uh, only got it delivered in December. And the storage is still not here and so forth. So the the sector really has some challenges. You know, you've and, and it's constantly moving, right? It's constantly mm -hmm. changing uh, in a lot of different aspects. Now, let's bring it back a little bit to the theme of the podcast, which is uh, B2B sales trends. Now, share with me a little bit uh, on, on, on some of the, the points that you have discussed. I wonder if we can elaborate a little bit on that. You mentioned sure. uh, certain price increases. You mentioned that uh, your people need to uh, engage with senior stakeholders. They navigate around stakeholders. The, mm -hmm. uh, they have to focus on how to execute at the point of a customer interface and so forth. Share with me your thoughts a little bit on uh, how your people need to or are, are tackling these challenges. Yeah. Um I think really at the end of the day, this is where uh, we were kind of chatting before this, that the, this, mm. this idea of like the, the consultative mind sales mindset and the role of like the sales uh, person, I believe is, is evolving greatly. Um, mm. And I think this, the prerequisite skill sets um, I think are increasing to, to, and the demands in the job are increasing as, as the complexity of these conversations continue to, to increase. And so um, I think where we see a lot of like opportunity is to make sure that like our sales folks are like very closely aligned to those those clients and customers because we see their needs right. evolving and they, and there's many right and so it's not enough to just be able to articulate well these are all like the pain points that like our customers face right. um, if our sales folks aren't able to actually articulate like the prioritization of those pain points to be able to understand really like what is like the the willingness to pay or like what is the the, the size of the pain of those pain points um, right. and then direct conversations accordingly. I think one, like what you end up with is like this, this list that is just far too broad to be able to like solve. Right. And so like, if you're going to try to be everything to everyone, I think you end up not delivering really any depth of value. And, and that's where I think we see, uh, where we win is we, we understand deeply where like the most critical pain points are. Uh, and then I think the other piece of it is like, as you like look internally is the role of, of the, the, the customer, uh, and the voice of the customer and how it helps to shape. Uh, internal team strategy, right? And and the the idea that like our product, uh, we're a product-led company, how that product is able to keep pace uh, with that change 
it's it's got to be driven through like the client requirements and more importantly where like the features and like the values that are really driving that that um that willingness to pay and that stickiness and so that's asking a lot on like on these sales people it's like you need to be able to have that complicated conversation you have to be able to prioritize and structure that information and then you need to be able to translate it back to a, to the company so that we can continue to see our strategy evolve where we're making hardest decisions and adding the most value that we can. Um, and so I think it's what we've seen is it's much less now about just hit your targets and you're doing a good job. The, the expectation is, is far, far broader and, and I think far larger. Um, and, and I think that makes the job more interesting, but it also makes it more challenging. Right. And the complexity that there are multiple stakeholders involved in the whole thing, right? And the natural tendency that salespeople have to sort of gravitate to the conversation that they're comfortable with they usually shy away, if I may say that politely, from uh, roles such as yourself, right? Because that's the C-suite. That is difficult. Uh, you know, yeah. let's just have a conversation with the technical people, with the product people. That's where I'm more comfortable. But in our experience, they really have to broaden that that horizon and say, no, you know, I have multiple stakeholders in my uh, my sales process, and I need to engage with every single one of them. And maybe comfortable or not, it's still a necessity to do that. Uh, is that is that something that you see too? No, I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, especially like in the in the B two B landscape, right? It's um, these are complex sales. You, you don't you can't just win with one person. It's going to be different departments, different senior leaders, all with varying degrees of desires of what they want to see right. and where they think the value is. Um, and I think that like, our best salespeople, the, the people that we see do this, I think the most effectively understand how they are able to like shape the message in such a way that it resonates. Right. And I think that again, it goes back to that ability to identify pain points and prioritize. And then you're training people to like, how do you recognize like the thematic common ground? Right. Like where, where are there, where are there places where everyone seems to be gravitating towards? And then how do we make sure that? The sales motions, the demos are able to actually reinforce um, reinforce that information and, and demonstrate that value. I think that makes that makes the job easier. And if you can if you can do that well, but I also would argue it's probably one of the most complex aspects of it, as you've articulated. Um, so it's yeah. but it's a I think I think again that's why you do this job, right? That's the fun part yeah. is trying to engage with people and understand what what makes them tick. Right, and one of the things that we see a lot is also. You know, obviously, you you're hitting all the right points, right? You got to shape the message. It's got to link into the needs of the customer or the prospect. You got to demonstrate value throughout your conversation cycle. All these wonderful things. How do you, in your organization, ensure consistency within your uh, sales force to execute to that? What, if I may say that politely, high level that you have called out your people to do? How do you ensure consistency that that is actually executed at the point yeah. of customer dialogue? I mean, I think this is where strength and leadership um, becomes so critical. And I'm not actually talking about myself. Uh, we are, and I am very lucky. Oh, you are. And I know. We, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are very lucky in that um, we have very strong um, go-to-market leaders uh, in my organization. And so the process in which we identify, uh, identify those folks, put them in the right uh, positions, uh, I think that just as it acts as like an amplification, right? Uh, and so if you have the right standard setters um, at the top, they're able to drive the right culture, right, drive the right awareness and expectations on performance. They reinforce consistent messaging 
Um, I mean, it's kind of like, it's the easy answer, but like when you have great leaders, it, it just, it's contagious. And like you, you see the right behaviors reinforced on a daily basis. So I think that's, that's one. Two, I think it's about like having the right incentives in place and making sure that like you're very thoughtful about like how incentives and your incentive structure drives behavior. And so we try to find the right balance between like short-term incentives, especially on like the sales front, um, while also making sure people have a view on the long game. And it's not about just like getting people to sign up, but it's like they're signing up right. for the right reasons. You don't want to see churn being like through the roof, right? And so I think there's, again, there's a, there's an incentive aspect of that, but there's also a cultural ethos of like, we want to be long-term strategic partners. Um, and that, that can be a tricky balance. I think that again, goes back to like the approach to hiring, what type of profiles, what type of people um, you're going after, right? And like, we, we've tried to strike a balance of like, you want that aggression where people are like very target hungry and hyper-focused on like delivering, but can see like the long game and like how we think about like the incentives to enable that behavior is, is important. So what I heard you saying for our listeners, right? In order to get consistency in sales execution, uh, I noted down point one, uh, a contagious leadership, point two, uh, incentive st structures that drive behaviors. And you didn't say that, but I took that from what you say, and the right hiring and onboarding. That's correct. Those are yes. really good points, right? Yeah. Very cool. Um, I mean, what I, what I haven't called out, I think, uh, is the... Like the training and enablement aspect, which yeah. I think is obviously that's um, that I would argue is just table stakes, right? You, you need to be making sure that like that's all reinforcing, but ultimately I think it's the, how you set the tone from the top, how you then re, like reward those behaviors and then making sure that you're putting people that align to that culture and are going to buy into that ethos. And, and I think collectively that gives you high performing teams. Very interesting. Now, we chatted a little bit about that before, before I get to my closing uh, question here. Um, how is AI going to influence all of this? There's so much discussion going on about uh, AI is going to replace humans and it's going to take so many jobs away and it's going to do this and that. The reality is nobody really knows. But, you know, what what is your take? I mean, you've just described a lot of, human behaviors that are necessary to execute all these things that you've mentioned, how is AI going to change that over the next five years? Or is it not? Or is it, what's yeah. your opinion on that? It's a great question, a highly speculative answer, but I, I do have right. an opinion on this. Uh, I think right. ultimately AI offers, like, I think a huge opportunity in that it'll enable Real, it, I think it'll enable like the best salespeople to do more of what they love. Uh, and I think yeah. if you are not a strong salesperson, I think that will just like anything else, like it, it will assess, it'll assess out low performers. Uh, I think if, if you rely on like rote tasks, so you, your strategy is on like a repetitive and predictable process and playbook, that's something that AI will do better than you. Right. Uh, I think ultimately there is a human element, especially in B2B sales. Um, that is very hard to displace with technology because at the end of the day, we're talking about very large, complex transactions. Um, there is an element of trust uh, and an element of relationship that that I think will still always be part of the equation. Uh, and so while I think there is a path to maybe having less large sales organizations, I think what you will have is people that are 
very, very good at understanding how to like navigate those complex stakeholders. They'll leverage AI to get an edge on how they can do that more efficiently, how they can do the right research, how they can understand the best path and be armed with the best data. But that idea of being a, a compelling storyteller, building relationships, enabling trust and knowing that like I'm the person on the other side of this deal. And that's like, I'm here for you. And like, we're here as partners in the long term. I think it's very, very difficult to displace. Um, and I think as like people think about like, what should I be focused on? Like moving forward, it's continuing to build those like very human skills. Cause I think that is ultimately where I see I've experienced success and where I see my best sales folks um, and like go to market people have success. It's like they're very capable relationship builders who then leverage other tools to just give themselves an exponential edge. Um, and I think that really is the future and probably no different from a lot of other roles, but in sales specifically, right. so much of it is human. So much of it is relationship based uh, in the D2B side. And that's going to be very hard to displace the chat GPT. <laughs> I completely agree. What, what a lot of people sort of take uh, you know, when they predict what's going to happen in sales and with AI and so forth. Uh, I guess we also need to look at how is buying going to change? How is the other side going to change? How is AI going to, oops, my camera just dropped off. How is uh, the uh, uh, the buying side going to change as a result of that? Because the sales side really has to then also mm-hmm. Uh, go in a similar direction. Anyhow, it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, development going forward. I, I think the thing that is where I will see this evolve quickly, I would imagine, is if you're trying to if you're trying to blow smoke uh, or you're you don't really know your stuff, you will get found out very quickly okay. because they can okay. sit there on a call and ask a prompt and know that like you're talking nonsense. And so that's where I say like, it will, I think it will assess out people that have gotten by, um, by leaning on kind of like lower skill tactics and and over promising and under delivering. And it will require salespeople to just be like on their game, know their competitive set, know on really understand what their value proposition is, understand like who their client is. Cause like information, all types of information will just be so readily available that that will make conversations more difficult. Like you will have to be more compelling. uh, I think in the future. I I love that thought. I haven't thought about that yet, but I completely agree with you. They really have to raise their game if they want to survive in quotes, uh, then yeah. <laughs> technology is going to hit us. And that's good for our business because then they have to upskill all the time. So that's great. There you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the you have, your, now, you have your growth plan now. You're good to go. Right, right, right. Uh, last question for you, uh, Joshua. It, what if you could give three tips, uh, three things, don't have to have a long explanation, but three points that you would recommend to any salesperson to do and to execute to be able to get to that elite level that we have just discussed, what would those top three things would be in order? Number one, most important, two and three. Top three things that people need to do to be excellent salespeople. I think more and more, the first thing is going to be this, this idea of being able to communicate and like link together, like strategy with execution. Um, why I say that is that I think again, more and more sales is becoming a conduit between like client and the incredibly fast rate of change, which we see client needs evolving, uh, where it's like your product might add value today and all of a sudden tomorrow it does not. 
And like your ability to be able to digest that information, ask the right questions, and then be able to relay, relay that internally and understanding that like you have actually serve a critical role internally to your teams to be able to like bring that to the to the teams to make sure that your product is keeping pace with that. I think that's like emergent and, and I think that is new. I think like it is not just about like I hit my quotas anymore because what you sold today might not have, it might be obsolete very quickly because of how like the world is just changing at a different rate. And so that ability to like codify that information and to be able to articulate it internally, not just externally, like being the voice, the keeper of the the truth of the the, the customer voice I think has never been more critical and that like relationship and liaising with like product and engineering and the rest of the go-to-market functions. Um, it just, I think has never been more important. And I think people that do that well will succeed and will be able to like come out the other side or off. Uh, so I think that's definitely the top one that I, I can't right. like reinforce enough. Um, as I think right. beyond that, uh, I think like the continuing up leveling and like skills around like the language of like what product and engineering speak continues to be important. Um, again, because of, like the requirements to translate like these needs into technical requirements and being able to understand that, like this, it starts to blur the lines, I think, with like product management. Um, and like that role, I think, starts to look a lot more ubiquitous because, because like that is inherently what you are selling. Um, so I think like the, the upskilling around that language will, will con continue to be wildly critical. Um, and it's something in our organization that we're kind of working on on a daily basis is how do we continue to improve and strengthen that bond between those two organizations and making sure that we speak a common, a common language. Um, so I think that would be number two. And then on, on number three, I, I always recommend this, but it's for me, it's making sure you have a strong mentor. Uh, I know that might sound like right. a weird recommendation, um, but I think especially an external mentor that's not within your, your own organization or company, right. I think that challenges you to continue to think differently about like, again, that rate of change and like where does driving success elsewhere. Um, I think it's kind of like a, maybe a get out of jail free counter because I'm saying, well, the answer is to make sure you're getting the answer of what you need to be focused on. Um, but like, if I think about some of the most powerful things that I've done, it has been driven through like really strong mentor mentee relationships and like how that's helped me stay focused on like, this is something I really need to actually invest in. Whereas like, oh, this is a, this is a fad that's not going to make a long-term difference. And so taking the time to like use your networking skills and th that, that make you good at sales and, and use that for your own personal gain. Uh, I think it can be highly valuable and it's something I actually don't see people do nearly enough uh, and they don't invest in it early enough in their career. And I think that sets you behind because I think it can be a, a force multiplier of being successful in the role. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you with uh, all of those three points. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Josh, for your fabulous insights. I know our listeners uh, really appreciate your input and your expertise. So thank you for your time. Thanks for everybody uh, for tuning in again. Until next episode, happy selling, look after yourself. And bye-bye.